Brick Moon Fiction presents The Gods Below by J.B. Toner Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle We've all been to hell a time or two. It's the place without hope, that's all. Toss in a lake of sulfur if you like, doesn't make it any worse. Matter of fact, I expect any one of us can think of a time we would have welcomed a three-headed wolf or a geyser of flame just to give us something else to feel. I held my baby girl the night she starved to death. The crying was bad. The screaming was worse. The clawing, the thrashing. All of that was rough. But when the first gray light started slinking up the street and she got quiet, that was when the black gates opened. She looked at me right in the eye the whole time. Why don't you feed me, Daddy? Whether Satan's real or not, he's superfluous after that night. Anyway, we've got plenty of petty, obese devils right up here. Ever heard of a billionaire bunker? I hadn't. Apparently, it's just what it sounds like. Some kind of underground fortress where the ultra-rich can squirrel away their wealthy nuts until the rioting stops. When they took everyone's 401k, I got mad. When they sold all the soup kitchens, I got furious. But at this point, with everyone howling about those bastards in their bunkers, I'm too tired to be angry anymore. It's like squandering rage on a pig for getting itself dirty all the time. At the end of the day, a creature just follows its nature. And you can put a pig in a $15,000 tux, but it's still going to roll in shit. My name's John Ember. I'm a beat cop in Detroit. You want to talk about hell? The last few weeks, I've seen things that vault right over the squiggly demarcations between desperation and plain old-fashioned evil. Mug a guy if you must. Don't lash him to a lamppost and drive around town with his entrails zip-tied to your bumper. These are the things we'd be doing to the 1%, if only we could get our hands on them. Instead, we thin our own herd. We do their work for them, just like we always do. Yo, Ember! My partner, Dave Albion. He was younger than me, and smaller, but also smarter, and no less tough. He ambled toward me with a steaming styrofoam cup in either hand. Oh yes, we still have Java. Back in November, Captain Renfield personally gut-shot a looter that tried to lay hands on Mr. Coffee, and word got around fast. Some things remain sacred in this world. Morning, Dave. I took my coffee and nodded my thanks. So what's on the docket for today? Raised a shoulder. See if we can prevent one or two of the 500 murders that'll take place by sundown. I like our odds. A thin sleet was shifting down from lugubrious morning clouds, and all the streetlights were dead. We headed east on foot, past the vaporous husks of automobiles and the pieces of people in garbage cans. Lounging on the corner a few blocks up was a loose congregation of visibly armed teenagers in dark blue hoodies, smoking. I hoisted my coffee at them. Hey, fellas. Officer Ember, said one of the older boys. I feel safer already. Well... Safety is my middle name. Good thing you grew up to be a cop then. Imagine if you'd gone into weapons manufacture. Good thing. I held his gaze, and he gave me the good-natured eye roll that meant he was prepared to backburner the banter for the nonce. Listen, we're heading north from here. Is there anything we ought to know about? Any big turf wars going on today or such like? Jason Morley, my adolescent hoodlum quasi-friend, shook his head. Things have been quiet up that way last week or so. We hear most of the actions down by the docks. Yeah, we've got armored divisions to handle that stuff. Me and my partner just want to keep an eye on them. 
I trailed off. A man was coming toward our little gathering, a man who looked profoundly out of place. Morley and company reached casually into their jackets and produced an array of Glocks and Tech Nines that could have slowed down a Canadian grizzly bear, or at the very least really pissed it off. The hell's this guy? Dave muttered, his hand twitching toward his sidearm. Steady, kid. It's still legal to walk down the street. The stranger was gaunt, almost spectral, and pale as the smog-lit autumn sky. He looked to be at least eighty, and yellow teeth gleamed dully in his bobbling skull. On his head was a black fedora. Over all his strawman limbs was a black duster and a black suit and tie underneath. He wore tinted spectacles that anywhere else would have been merely an average pair of shades, but on that cryptic face... They somehow took away the clue of the soul's windows and left him a ghoulish enigma. Even I had to stop myself from unholstering my weapon at the sight of him. Jason Morley? He grinned. Morley glanced at me, and I shrugged. Yeah, he said, thumbing back the hammer of his automatic. Who are you? Wolver is my name. Mordecai Wolver. I bear glad tidings, Mr. Morley. Tidings of great joy. My socks are turning brown as we speak. Do tell me what I'm so overjoyed about. Why, the choosing, of course. As you know, the ultimate elite have withdrawn from society into their bunkers until the current imbecilic frothings of the hoi polloi subside. Mister, you're fixing to get yourself shot. Until the socioeconomic climate stabilizes, let us say... But, as that process may chance to take some few years or decades, the elite, in their magnanimity, have seen fit to choose a few honored personages from among the common folk to join them in the bunkers. A beat went by in silence. Yo, Morley, one of the younger kids stage whispered. You just won the lotto, dog. No, no, hold up. What's the catch? They hunt us for sport or something? The stranger chuckled through his yellow grin. What a quaint fancy! No, dear boy, they merely wish to share their good fortune with the poor souls lost in the world above. Sadly, resources are limited, and so they can only invite a tiny handful of folk. But, happily, the name of Morley came out of the hat, and so here we are. It's the chance of a thousand lifetimes. And you expect me to just follow you into some dark alley? Heavens no. That would hardly be prudent. He raised one sallow hand and snapped his fingers. Behold, sir. And the earth opened up. A sleek white room. Deep, plush, antiseptic chairs around a table whose surface both kept the lattes warm and functioned as a touchscreen hypercomputer. Fat, white men, impeccably tailored, sat around the table, chatting jovially as they sipped their drinks. Charles, one of the fat men called. What time is it in Hong Kong? One of the white-coated serving men checked his watch. 10.17 p.m., sir. Cocktail hour, said the fat man, and the other fat men guffawed. The serving men brought out Quantros, Cristals, Glengoolies in diamond-crusted goblets and placed them on the table. Now, said one of the fat men, what about the day's entertainment? Coming on now, sir, said one of the serving men. The tabletop became a movie screen 
cadaverous, mordant, wolver, and vivacious, intelligent morally, would the boy have the sense to walk away? It made no difference, of course. At least a few of them would take the bait. That cop fellow there, said one of the fat men, he looks tough. I'll bet he makes it the farthest. Too noble, said another fat man. Look at that jaw. He'll get bogged down trying to carry the weak ones. I'll wager a hundred thousand. Gallons, not dollars. Down here, the wealth was in water. Right at the edge of our feet, the sidewalk dropped away like a trap door. A clean steel platform rose from the darkness underneath and snapped into place with a well-oiled click. On this dust-swept street corner, surrounded by bottles and needles and butts, next to a gutter where two rats were fucking in the crimson mud, it looked like the hilt of Excalibur protruding from a rack of dildos. Guy that called himself Wolver stepped onto the platform. Right this way, if you please. It's quite safe, I assure you. Oh, well, if you assure me, then by all means. Plenty of room on that platform, I said. Why don't Officer Albion and I accompany Jason down and verify that everything's safe? After that, he can make whatever decision he wants about staying or leaving. Yo, hold up, said one of the others. I want to see two. Chorus of Me Too's and Y'all Gotta Be Trippin's. Gentlemen, gentlemen, please. Wolver raised his hands for silence and, caught in some eddy of the day's surreality, we all stopped to listen. If Mr. Morley so desires, anyone can accompany us to the front door of the bunkers. Under no circumstances, however, may anyone else step inside. Is that understood? What happens if we do? demanded a pugnacious kid with a goatee and machete. I sorrow to say that in order to maintain the integrity of the premises, there are armed men watching the entrance at all times. I'm afraid no exception can be made to the pain-of-death policy. Well, Dave said quietly, an exception is about to be made. If you've got private security with firearms down there, Officer Ember and I are going to need to see their licenses to carry. Being underneath the city doesn't mean you're outside our jurisdiction. Naturally, officer. We have all the proper documents in order, and they will be presented on request. It will not require your entering the bunker. So what do you say, Jace? I asked. Might be the smart play to walk away now. No doubt, he said and smiled. But could none of us live with ourselves if we did that, could we? Suppose not. All right, then. All aboard. Nobody jostle me now. I'm the chosen one. With Wolver, Dave, and myself, there were about ten of us on the platform. It descended swiftly and silently, and the sidewalk swung back into place above us. Calming azure lights came on, level by level, as we dropped. The kid with the machete started humming, putting on the Ritz. Hope for this generation after all. Twenty levels down, we came to a halt in a broad open space. The floor was cool, clean concrete. The lights, soft non-flickering LEDs. Over by one wall was a drinking fountain and two doors marked with a figure in pants and a figure in a skirt. By another wall, a Coke machine and a still-functioning antediluvian Pac-Man game. Place could have been built while Reagan was playing Soviet roulette with ICBMs, except for one thing. No dust. It was eerily meticulous in here. If you'll step this way, my friends, grinned our gray-skinned tour guide, the door is lightly camouflaged. 
We followed him toward another wall, and we could see on closer inspection that part of it was scored. He pressed his palm to a particular spot, and the scored segment of wall slid aside to reveal a simple metal surface, unmarked. Beyond, he cried suddenly, and we all jumped. Beyond is the garden of earthly paradise. Happy are they who tread there, but no power, short of the most advanced military ordinance yet devised, can force this aperture. It answers only to the will of the elite. You could just hear the capital letters. The time of decision is at hand, Mr. Morley. Will you cross the threshold? Whoa, 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 hold on, I said. The deal was we all get to see what's inside. Then he makes his decision. To gaze upon the splendors within and then return to the squalors above, Wolver shuddered. I would not wish that upon you. But if you will have it so, then so be it. Remember my words. Unauthorized entry is the bailiwick of those who covet doom. We should write that on Mr. Coffee, Dave murmured. Wolver snapped his fingers again. The door swung open. Breakfast was served in the white room. The servingmen bore vast platters of Himalayan boar meat, steaming in the special sauce harvested from rare indigenous herbs of the Amazon. The omelets were carefully made from the eggs of wild albatross, incubated to the point of developing the softest meat and bone, then succulently cracked into titanium-platinum frying pans. Mimosas, Dom Perignon, of course, and the sweetest juices of Valmont Grove, a tiny island so subtropically pure and idyllic that a keen-eyed native could almost see Antarctica with the naked eye. One of the fat men lit a cigar. I think we've got a good group today. They're showing wit, chutzpah, even solidarity. That won't last, another fat man grunted. They don't have a leader. Can't have solidarity without a leader. Still, got my eye on this ember fellow. You mark my words, he's made of harder stuff. <laughs> Not as hard as that Travinsky maniac last month, I hope, one of the fat men chuckled. Good lord, no. He almost made it to one of the reservoirs. Well, there's new measures in place now. Try some of the omelette. It's not bad this morning. Well, they waited too long to crack this one, I think. I can see a bit of tongue in there. Well, how about that? It's the snack that tastes you back, the fat man guffawed. Beyond was, indeed, a garden. A huge cavern stretched away into the shadows in all directions, filled with hydroponic trees and flowers from seemingly every continent. Nearby was a rugged-looking ATV for exploring the terrain. A silver motorboat floated at the brink of a sparkling blue river a few hundred yards beyond. Up on a hilltop were hang gliders and parasails for the enterprising airman. Tucked into the nooks of oaks and willows, half hidden by shrubbery, were doors marked with labels like spa, theater, and harem. There was a long silence. Behold your future, Mr. Morley, if you choose it. I mean, can I go back up to visit my friends and stuff? Never. Once you pass this door, the bunker is your world. I don't know about this. I nudged Dave and pointed with my chin. Up in the boughs of a nearby tree, the glint of a sniper scope. He nodded tightly. Yo, Morley, you gotta do it, bro, said one of the kids. 
This is every man's dream. Jakes, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes here. This could be a goddamn cult for all we know. So what? Better than living up there in the shit? Wolvers stepped very casually across the threshold and went several paces into the Forbidden Garden. Then he turned and smiled with half his face. Perhaps I should have mentioned this earlier, but there is an alternative. If Mr. Morley does not wish to enter the bunker, he does have the option to choose one person to take his place. And with that, he turned and strolled away into the foliage. Jakes turned and gave Morley the stare of a sociopath. All right, Morley, you already made your choice. You don't want to go in? Fine. I'm going. Goatee Kid's machete rose slowly, gleaming in the artificial light. Bullshit, you're going, Jakes. I've been running with Morley twice as long as you. Hey, Morley shouted. No one's giving me orders here. Guys, Dave said, raising his hands. Let's not. It happened. Jakes shoved Morley, Goatee shoved Jakes, and the tip of Jakes' ratty sneaker touched the grass beyond the threshold. A flash and a pop from the tree, and Jake's lungs were blown out through his spine. You motherfuckers! Morley screamed, charging into the garden with Goatee right behind him. At the same moment, another hidden section of wall slid open behind us. Shock troops with body armor and MP5s came out, already firing. Three of the boys were cut down before the rest of us could return fire. There was no other cover. We all fled into the bunker. Morley and Goatee were sprinting in the direction of the first sniper, firing wildly with their handguns. They had about the same chance of hitting him as they did of getting chosen to live in a billionaire bunker. A second gunman, off to the right, fired a single shot, and Goatee's brainstem burst like a watermelon. Morley! The spa! I bellowed. He, Dave, and I lunged from the nearest tree portal. Dave threw a spectacular flying back spin kick and smashed the door off its hinges. I flicked out my empty magazine and reloaded as we half ran, half tumbled down the stairs beyond. Pool, showers, jacuzzi. We kept on running. No one else was behind us. The rest of the gang must have already bought it. Where the hell are we going? Dave shouted. There's got to be a control room somewhere, I panted. A radio, maybe some better weapons. Down a long fluorescent hallway, two black suits materialized from around a corner, and gunfire chaos roared. The suits flopped against a wall and came to rest in a tangle of one another's riddled limbs. Morley clutched at his chest and said, Goodness, this won't do at all. Then he slumped into Dave's arms, and his weapon clattered to the floor. We knelt there in the corridor, my partner and I, our breath rasping in our throats, our eyes dark with inevitability. We're not getting out of here, Johnny. I shook my head. We're going to kill as many of these bastards as we can before they end us. I nodded. Moving quickly now, we gathered the sidearms and submachines from the two black suits. Our destination no longer signified, so we simply went straight down the hall. Doors began to open on either side. These men were good. Well-armed, well-trained, and cautious. But we were good, too. And we had one infinite advantage. Blood and smoke and viscera. Shell casings tinkling on the floor, shrieks of agony echoing. We were almost at the end of the hall now, treading on corpses, bleeding from a dozen holes. A burst of rapid fire from behind us, and Dave went down. I turned in time to kill his killer, but he killed me too. 
I didn't feel the round hit my neck, but I heard the smack and I knew what it meant. I kept going. At the end of the hall was a single white door. Come this far, might as well see what was behind it. But my legs gave out and I fell. Crawled a few feet, right to the threshold, a dozen cooling bodies behind me. Just another day at the office. When she died, my Hannah, I couldn't think what to say. My sweet girl, I couldn't think what to say to you. I just held you and whispered, It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. My Hannah. My girl. I love you. It's okay. It's okay. The door opened. Well, Officer Ember, you won me a hundred thousand gallons today. (laughs) It was one hell of a show. Congrats. The dying man peered upward, looking puzzled. Why? said the fat man. Well, heck, why not? There's not much else to do down here, you know. The other fat men smiled down at him benevolently. Not many have made it this far, one of them said. I hope you can die proud, son. Hope, said Ember, drooling blood. You don't... You don't hope. This is hell. You're all in hell. He exhaled and the spurting little rivulet in his shoulder blade dribbled to a halt. One of the fat men consulted his watch. Criminy, look at the time. It's past eleven in Hong Kong. Another fat man beamed. Time for dessert. J.B. Toner studied literature at Thomas More College and holds a black belt in Ohana Kilohana Kenpo Jiu-Jitsu. He and his lovely wife just had their first daughter, Ms. Sonia Magdalena Rose. Toner writes when he can, drinks when he can't, and tweets at Antihero Couplet at Twitter.com in between. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon Fiction and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.